Good morning. Good to be with you. Just to have a, just a bit of a mini before the maxi. Cheryl um, mentioned a verse in Revelation when she started um, the songs, the, the worship in song this morning, Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. And I wonder as you come here this morning, if you think, oh, I wonder if I'll get anything out of it. We do so many things, most things probably, to see what we'll get out of it. And um, that's not why we're here. Not here to get anything out of it. Isn't that interesting? Uh, What we're here is to bring ourselves um, before God and each other and the throne of God and, um, and put something into it. Because what Cheryl and the women in her Bible study are learning from Revelation is that then I heard every creature, listen, every creature in heaven, verse 13 of Revelation 5, and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, every creature, that includes us, worshipping the lamb who was worthy. That's what we're doing now. We've come not to get something, but to bring something in worship to along with every creature eternally to worship the lamb who was worthy. And you can't kind of press a button and say, get that, you know, kind of get that, understand that, comprehend that in its fullness. But in so much as we do that, essentially the, the incense of our praise rises to God and the eternal majestic dance of whatever's going on out there uh, is participated in by us. That's what we're doing here. That's the mini inside the maxi. Turning up's a good thing because uh, we're part of something absolutely beyond our comprehension. If you had to leave someone, so here's the main thing, okay? If you had to leave someone with the one thing that mattered to you most, one thing that mattered to you most, what what would it be? What would you leave someone with? This one thing I must leave with you before... Well, for Paul, it's 12 years since, roughly 12 years since he met Lydia... Uh, I love that picture. We have an entrepreneurial woman leading the first church in Philippi, um, opening her home to make her home the church, influencing those over whom she had influence to be included in this community, and it had gone well for 12 years. They had partnered, as Kieran said, and the gospel, this word that gets used again and again, had advanced. And that's 12 years after meeting Lydia on that river, And let's say it it may be 12 years before Paul himself met Jesus, the Messiah, on the road to Damascus. So 20-plus years we're looking at as we come to where we are today. And at at the beginning, uh, on the road to Damascus, 12 years before the 12 years, uh, Jesus strikes Paul down and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And Paul comes back, or Saul, later known as Paul, comes back with two key questions. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? From then on, from that Damascus Road experience, something like 24 years before where we are in what I'll be talking about today, those were the two key questions that answered Paul's one big thing. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he goes on to say, apart from that, for him, everything else is garbage. Irrelevant. Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul's answer to the first question, who are you, Lord, is what he refers to as the gospel. Who are you, Lord? The second question what do you want me to do, is he wants to see the gospel advanced. That's Paul in a nutshell, wrapped up. And that's what he says here to the Philippians. Now, I don't know if you're one of those people who like Paul or don't like Paul. People seem to like Jesus but don't think much of Paul. Um, But I wonder if you've ever watched Vera on the ABC. It's a cop show. A few people watch Vera. I'm not suggesting you should watch Vera, but she's pretty hardcore. She's smart. She's hard. She's single-minded. She's actually quite unattractive in a kind of attractive way. The definition of cute is ugly, but interesting. Vera. Vera. She's a cop. Now, Holly is another cop who works for Vera. And Holly works like a Trojan. But all Holly wants is to hear from Vera, well done. That's all Holly wants. She'll die for you just to hear, well done. But Vera, she just wants to answer, who did it? And what are, your, what are you doing to find out who did it? That's all that matters to Vera. Vera is what I would call a perverse package. Where perverse means contrary to the accepted or expected standard or practice. I think Paul was a perverse package as well, much like Vera. He's tricky. He's so intense and passionate, but knowledgeable and integrated. He can be so warm and kind and loving and yet sharp and accurate and fearsome. So he peeves people off. In fact, he's a bit like a mosaic, a great, big, beautiful, complex mosaic. But never forget, 
It's made out of shards of cut glass. Imagine just for a minute having Paul in your church. He would be so patient and particular with the seeker and the penitent. He'd be powerful from the pulpit and long. And he'd be a powder keg for the pew warmer. Here, where we start in verse 12, he's in prison in Rome. Is it any wonder he's in prison? Awaiting his chance as a Roman citizen to testify about the gospel of Jesus and God's king to the emperor. Because remember, to live is Christ for Paul. He is obsessed with who are you, Lord, the gospel It's gospel, 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 gospel. Oh, gospel! A word that gets thrown about like champagne after a Formula One Grand Prix. And it kind of has the same effect as... um, What are the big ones called? A magnum of Chandon. Some wonder what it is he's throwing about. They don't really get it, but it's wet or sticky or irritating, so just get away from me with that stuff. Some want to taste it to see what they think of it. Some want to own it. I mean, let's face it, there could be a dollar in it. That was certainly the case, wasn't it? Um, Just a couple of weeks ago where we were sharing about people who had a pagan girl who was making them money. There was a dollar in it, whatever it was that was going on. Some want to own it just to peeve Paul off. Some want to taste it and want more and more and more of it. But whatever the gospel is, whatever it is, it is advancing to pagan people. We read in verse 12, it's advancing across the known world through Paul's efforts among the pagans. So remember the one who's intent on killing those who would advance the gospel is now the one advancing it across the known world. But the Philippians were alarmed that Paul was in prison. And he says to them in verses 13 and 14, he says, Oh, don't be alarmed, it's really working out rather well. (laughs) You've got to remember Paul's brilliant, articulate, and he's also a novelty. He's a sideshow. And Rome, where this is being written from, loved sideshows. Novelties were actually sought after. Give him a hearing. Give him a hearing. We want to hear what he's got to say. And as well as that, he'd had a particularly exciting voyage to get to Rome. And so perhaps it was the case that the centurion who was guarding him, part of the emperor's cohort that we read about here, was actually gospeling Paul. Hey, I brought this guy over here. Amazing stuff happened. Do you want to come and listen to what he's got to say? So perhaps his guard was gospeling Paul to the palace guard, 9,000 of Rome's finest, the Praetorian guard, cream of the crop, all wanting to listen to Paul's gospel. Boom! 
was extending to pagan people all over the place, advancing like wildfire along those amazing Roman trade routes that you can still walk on today. But the gospel, interestingly enough, isn't just advancing amongst pagans, it's advancing amongst Christians, already Christians. You say, how can that be? Well, this is why we, you know, in churches that believe in the Lord Jesus and in his word to reveal Jesus to us, keep sharing the gospel with people because we Christians, we sort of get a bit wobbly and we, we lose it. In verse 14, <clears throat> we read, Most of the brothers and sisters having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. It's advancing by my imprisonment. Dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. So it's advancing among the Christians. It's interesting, um, Paul had become a celebrity. We like to be associated with celebrities. Oh, I know someone. Particularly hardcore celebrities like Paul. It's quite fun to meet celebrity Christians. Have you ever met a celebrity Christian? Met a few. Five minutes with them reveals a couple of things. First of all, they're absolutely clear about their purpose, this one thing I'm on about. Secondly, they're certain of their call to that, like they've got blinkers on. Thirdly, it's cost them. There's been a sacrifice and sometimes even suffering. And the other thing that you often sense with true celebrity Christians that are busy with their call is they haven't got time for you. Because they're really focused on what they're really focused on. They haven't got time for you. One of the charges that was brought against Paul was he didn't seem to have time for people that he'd said he'd like to have time with because of this one thing. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? Focus and advance. So, the gospel is also advancing amongst the ill-willed as well as... I'm not quite sure how to say well-willed or good-willed or whatever the case might be, but the gospel is advancing despite ill will. Paul loves the Philippians, they know that, but he's hurt people, he's burned people, and Paul has burned the Christians in Rome too, where he's currently in prison. That's right, Christian people, gospel people are burned by Paul. So the bitter are sharing the gospel, but out of ill will. Not towards Jesus, but towards Paul. They're not anti-Christ, they're anti-Paul. But they share the gospel in verse 17. We can be pretty territorial and calculating and miffed and jealous, can't we, when we're hurt? And it's usually because we are hurt. It's that sort of attitude that says, I don't care if I don't win, as long as he doesn't. It's charming from good Christians, and it happens. But the gospel is actually advancing because it's intrinsically powerful. Paul said to the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I will not be ashamed of this gospel. For it's the power of God. I've seen it. Like, it doesn't really matter who shares it or brings it. It just is powerful in and of itself. 
and it's the power of God for salvation for anyone who would believe it, the Jews first, then the Greeks. It's advancing. Yet Paul had plenty of reason to feel miserable. He's in Rome, he's in jail, he's in chains, he has enemies, there's ill will around him. You know, I remember my parents lamenting their attempts to discipline my brother, who was an annoying little prat, and they wanted to merit some ill will towards. And um, the way they did that was they'd say, go to your bedroom. That was the punishment for sins in our house. Go to your bedroom. Isolation, deprivation and disapproval ought to do it. And he was meant to feel miserable. That was the plan. And what was his response to this attempt to make him feel miserable? He would sing. He would sing. And it drove them crazy. I can distinctly remember my mum and dad going, He's singing! (laughs) Verse 18, Paul says, I don't care what they think of me. As long as my message, as long as the gospel is getting through, as long as they gospel the gospel, I'm just fine with the motives because I only care about this one thing. What does it matter, he says, the important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I'm singing. He actually liked, quite liked being on his own, my brother. He's a bit of an introvert, liked being on his own. So the bedroom was never really a punishment. So for Paul to the Philippians, it's gospel, 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 gospel. It's the main game, the only game. It pours out of every one of his pores. Dying's no problem, we discover. For there's nothing else in life but this gospel. We discover that in verse uh, 21. And the Philippians, whatever happens, there's just one thing. He says to them, thanks, that was very perceptive. I think you must be a gospel man. So that's, that's Paul. His charge to the Philippians is to contend for this gospel. So that's what he's saying in this passage. This is who we are together as partners. This is what we do. Now, gospel gets chucked around so much it can mean everything or nothing, can't it? Did you know in the ancient world, gospel was really like... Newsflash, newsflash... It was a media term, military victories, promotions, weddings, births. Do you know, actually, one of them was even the bargain price of uh, of, uh, anchovies this month month at Galati's. That was a gospel that they've actually found written with that word attached to it, the bargain price of anchovies. So the major gospels, though, were edicts of the emperor, usually news of wonderful deeds, You didn't ignore those Gospels because they were directing you to know how to worship, where to be at certain times, etc. Because the the Emperor's Gospel was calling you, essentially, to raise the Emperor up uh, and in, in Rome in worship. But there was Gospel in the Bible a long time before there was Gospeling in Rome, where Paul was. You might remember passages like how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who gospel good news. Newsflash, good news coming. So Old Testament Bible gospeling always newsflashed the march of God 
coming into his own in his realm, our earth. Our earth. That's what the march of the gospel was always about. Do not despair was the message to God's people. All is not lost. God is king. The king will rule in his realm. The earth is his and the fullness thereof. And he is sending his king to rule. And his king will rule in his way with authority, justice and mercy. So the big theme of this gospel is the kingdom is coming. God is coming. His king is coming. And this is Jesus' main message in the gospels. The gospels are actually one gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ told by four different people. One gospel told by four different people. Mark chapter 114 sums it up really well. It says, behold, the time, this is the time, the, the kingdom, the realm has come near. Wake up, open your eyes, turn around from whatever you're doing at work or holidays or whatever. Wake up, have a look at what's happening The king has come. Believe the good news. And what's the good news? The king of the kingdom is here, now. So this is how the gospel works in history, in Rome, in the Old Testament, in the gospels. And then Paul does these little pop-up gospels himself. Really, do you get sort of, this is the gospel, three points, and here's the... No, he just gives these news flashes. So he gives one of the news flashes in, um, in Corinthians. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15 this, he says, I preached, you received, you've taken your stand, by that alone you will be saved. I passed it on to you because this is my number one thing. He actually says in 1 Corinthians um, verse three, uh, 15, one, uh, verse 3, this is my number one thing. And here it is. This is just the mini-summary in in Corinthians of one of his Gospels. One, Christ is the King. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, everything everywhere has always told you that this is going to happen. Jesus on the Damascus Road. Remember he was on the Damascus Road, sorry, on the Emmaus Road after it all went bad. And he's talking to a couple of blokes and their report is he told me everything the Bible ever said about the Messiah. Well, here it is. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. The whole thing tells of this. Thirdly or fourthly, I can't remember, that God's king was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, that sounds more like a king to me. And that he appeared first to Peter, then to 12, then to 500, then last of all to me. And it goes on and says much more. So that's just one of the news flashes in the New Testament. There are about three or four of them. So when we put it all together, when we put everything together, what is this one thing? It's Jesus. You know, that's the right answer at Sunday school, isn't it? And it's Jesus who takes the royal throne that belonged to God's great king, David. It's the return of the king. It involves the miracles of Jesus that show the authority of the king 
to seem to be able to rule and reign over the whole created order. He has authority over creation. Thirdly, his teaching, so beautiful and so extraordinary and so unlike any others, is so loving, so inclusive, so just, so compassionate, reveals the demands of the kingdom, what it's going to be like to live there and and how the ruler will rule. And then, of course, there's the great sacrifice the sacrifice on the cross where God came down, died for us and rose again, which of course is the final thing that seems to involve this gospel. Remember, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the whole thing. Now, as you look at that, just want to go back to point one, the royal throne of David. The one who's come in Paul's gospel that met him on the Damascus Road, well, it was Jesus, but it was the revealed king. And it wasn't king like, oh, this bloke, he's a king. It was the king that we get in Revelation. Worthy is the lamb where everything in all creation is worthy of worshipping him. Whatever you're worth, let's say you're worth a dollar, This king, this royal throne of David king that Paul meets on the Damascus Road is worth a trillion billion dollars. And he comes and sacrifices himself, point four, for this thing worth a dollar. It's extraordinary, but wait a minute. Perhaps because this thing worth a trillion billion dollars, this Jesus comes to lay down his life purely at his own decision for these little guys, these little things. Maybe the little things aren't worth a dollar. Maybe the little things are of infinite worth in and of themselves, such is the love of the king for us. The question is, do I live like that? Do I live like I'm worth what God has been willing to give to call me his own? In other words, do I get Paul's one big thing? Do I get it like Paul got it, where it flipped his whole life and transformed his intentions and his purpose forever? This gospel has transformed the world. We find ourselves often living in a very small space. My kids, my car, my job, my health, my bike, my garden. Don't we? We find ourselves talking about this small space. My question to you as we finish is, who rules over that small space? Does the big thing, the big thing rule over that? Is there a ruler of great authority who will make ultimate demands, not demands that you shouldn't do it, but demands on how it should be done and how it should be prioritised? Demands that open access, that include others, that see Bang, the resurrection stamp of approval 
on how we invest our lives in this life because maybe we're worth a trillion billion like the great king who would come and give himself for us. Maybe we're just not little dollar people and he's somewhere off there doing whatever he does. The gospel's transformed the world forever. Everything that Paul stood on depends on it. Who are you, Lord? For to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you want me to do? Contend for it with me, will you? And whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of that news flash. So, Lord Jesus, this morning, thank you for the gospel. Help us to see that it's much bigger and wilder than just believing that Jesus saves me from hell and I'll be all right. Lord, reveal to me the grandeur of the whole wild story that captures everything that we do every day, that you rule and reign in every room. Nothing is outside your care or concern. And you ask us to come and follow and relinquish everything we do and say, how do I do this? What do I do? How do do I do this, Lord? So just help us with that this week, Lord. Switch us on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.